Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Welcome to the latest edition of the Irish Tech News Podcast. Big data Belfast takes place this week on June 2nd in Titanic, Belfast. Organised by Analytics Engines, it's an all-day conference looking at the very latest developments in big data and the future growth potential of this vital industry. The conference includes speakers from companies such as IBM, British Gas, Channel 4, Deloitte and Allstate. Topics for discussion include increasing revenue through customer analytics, creating new products based on data-driven insights, leveraging data assets, and adding security to businesses. One of the main speakers at the event is Andrew Grill from IBM, who is an industry around thought leader in digital and social media networks, and also a global managing partner in social consulting at IBM London. So here is Andrew. Okay, hi Andrew, how's it going? Yeah, going well, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys uh, next month. Okay, tell me more about uh, the conference you're going to be speaking at. Uh, well, it's all about big data, uh, as far as I know. The organisers have uh, given me the opening keynote, and they want me to set the scene on, on where big data might be going, and uh, I'll probably be talking on uh, the role of cognitive in all of that. So uh, I don't know much about the conference other than that. Okay, and, and I know you're, you're kind of a, your insights are going to be into digital trends. What trends do you see coming down the line? Well, I think this whole thing of cognitive, I mean, it's interesting. I was in New York last week and, uh, you know, that we've got Watson, which is our cognitive computing platform, and we got to, I was with some clients, we got to actually have the whole experience where they sort of take you through where computing has gone. And um, I did an engineering degree many years ago back in Australia, so I've sort of lived through some of this. And I talk about moving from the tabulating era where we had punch cards and IBM were involved in that yeah. through the programming era and I certainly and we probably all on the phone had some exposure to programming I remember programming in the basic programming language years ago and, and really moving now into this cognitive era and I think it's it's been enabled by the, the amazing improvement in, um, in cloud computing the fact that you can now you know spin up a server very quickly you can process things very quickly and I think you know 10 years ago we just didn't have the computing power to do that yeah, the whole notion of cognitive is really about learning. Um, what, what Watson has done and is most famous for back in 2011 is he was trained on a, a bunch of general knowledge questions that actually won Jeopardy. And there's a brilliant um, documentary that actually tracks the, the researchers behind that in Yorktown in our, in our New York facility. And uh, as the documentary goes, on the second night, Watson wasn't doing too well and they were, they were concerned that he might lose. And on third night, he came through and won. So this notion of being able to teach a computer to, to, to think and respond to things, I think, is, is the future. And, and big data is very much a part of that because there is so much big data around at the moment. Uh, I think clients are really grappling what to do with it. And when we're in the programming era, all we could do was, you know, if, if this data equals that, then do this. Whereas now, I think, in the cognitive area, we can actually train computers to learn and sift for some insights. And so long-winded answer to your question, but I think that's where things are headed. It's, it's a brave new world and a brand new space for many clients. And so the, the opening keynote will probably you know, really set the scene and talk about the opportunities of, of big data in this new cognitive era. 
Because I've seen guys before tell me that they've got products that are using AI and they're working with Watson. And I think Watson is like a, a, great, a great project to use because it can think for itself more or less now and go through big data and get what you want as a client. Yeah, well, it thinks for itself, but the, the thing that you've got to be clear on, you've got to teach it. Watson comes out of the box uh, as, as a sort of a 12-year-old, and you need to teach him how to think. And the great thing is, depending on the industry, you can train him to be a call center agent. You can train him to be an oncology specialist. You can train him to, you know, look for patterns in, in crime and things like that. So uh, I think uh, people often say, with AI, we'll, we'll, be re we'll be replaced by robots. I think the answer is no. Um, we've got a project going at the moment where our internal network, you can actually ask Watson a question. So, you know, what's the best um, place to find the leave form if I'm going away for more than three weeks? Now, I wouldn't even know who to ask or what number to call, but what you could do is actually ask Watson that question. Watson has learned all of our corporate policies and guidelines, and he'll come back with some suggested answers. And the thing about what we do with Watson and Cognitive is that rather than just saying this is the answer, Watson comes back with three alternatives and he shows you where he's got the information from. And so in, in the notion of medical, uh, the medical field, you don't want a computer to tell you how to diagnose a patient, but you'd like a computer to save you 25 days of work to actually diagnose someone who's got a very rare disease. And then if you know where the, um, where the data has come from, as a specialist, you can then go, aha, that is right. And then you tell Watson that's the right answer, and he learns that the next time that is the right answer. So I think humans um, are in there as well. So I think there's three elements, and that's what we'll be talking about at the conference. You've got big data, which we have so much of, and with Internet of Things and IoT coming down, we will have so much data that we'll never know what to do with it. You've got the cognitive part where we teach computers how to think, but I still think you need humans, not just to program them, but to teach them. I think we'll, we'll move from a programming mindset to a teaching mindset. I guess with IoT, if you can get Watson paired with that, that might that will be uh, uh, the next challenge. I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, IoT. In fact, I've been playing with IoT. Uh, I um, I'm an engineer, so I like to try things and break things. Uh, a simple uh, um, example of IoT is is Fitbit or, or these wearables. So I only recently got myself a wearable, and I've been tracking my fitness and my health. And uh, what I've essentially done is I've instrumented myself. I'm wearing a, a Fitband on my my uh, wrist, which I wear all the time, and without knowing it, I've actually become an instrument of human. And all this data is being sent back to Fitbit in the cloud, which is fascinating. But I also bought an IoT kit. There's a, um, a kit you can buy, which is a little, a little box, and basically it's got a few sensors on it. And it really allows you to understand what IoT is. And when you extrapolate that and think in the future that anything that can be instrumented, even humans, uh, is being instrumented, things like what Airbus have done, and they've uh, instrumented you know, all the, the components in their um, air, airplanes and those sort of things, it means that Watson can then learn patterns, and if he's got lots and lots of sensors and gets lots and lots of data, he can learn a lot faster. So, yeah, I think it will be a very interesting uh, discussion uh, in the Q&A section around, you know, big data and IoT, because even three or four years ago, we thought big data was coming from credit card transactions or footfall or social media, but now as you instrument anything that moves, even humans, I think you're going to have... A, a, an amazing set of data and the challenge is going to be how do you get insights out of this tsunami of data? Yeah, but about 10 years ago the cloud was something that nobody really knew but five years ago the cloud was growing popular. Now everyone's got the cloud in their pocket and with IoT I think within two yeah. years time it'll be there you won't know it's there. 
and the big data from that information will, will be pu pulled in and used, probably. Yeah, and the challenge is going to be where do you store it all? Because if, you, if you've instrumented so many things and you've got all this data streaming in, I think what also I think I see is you see a rebirth of the mobile phone operators. They are really saying, how do we get new revenue? You know, the phone calls now are essentially free. Text messages are free and things like WhatsApp over the top are, are eating their lunch. Uh, the data side, I think there'll be a rebirth where as you instrument so many things, you're going to need a back channel. And so I think the mobile phone operators actually are well placed for, for another rebirth of, um, of data explosion because your IoT device, even if it's connected by Bluetooth or something, you still need to get that back to the cloud. And so uh, I think you'll see lots of industries that um, are going to do very, very well out of IoT. You know, well, if they know where you are in this given point in time, we know every day you're the same place, they can make sure that your data is sold to people who can target you with advertising and, and, and things that might interest you. If every morning you go into a coffee, it can tell you, here's, here's something else giving you coffee, we'll give you discounts, go here instead. Yeah, you know what, I'm, I've been an ad advertising person for a long time and I just wonder whether the, the way we advertise today will change in the future because, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily need an offer. Uh, I get a venti cappuccino with two decaf venti cappuccino with two shots every day from from mainly the, the, the same Starbucks I visit. So I don't need an offer because I want the same coffee, um, but I want my loyalty recognised. Yeah. So at the moment, every fifteen coffees, I get one for free, and that's done through my app. So in a way, that's targeted. But um, you know what? I'm a creature of habit. So if you then said, "Well, we're going to give you you know the Moroccan one that's not decaf," I would go, "No, no, I, I want what I want." So I think for some people. Um, the notion of advertising might not be, I want you to try a new product. I think in the future, advertising might move towards, I want you to be more loyal. And by the way, I want you to tell someone else. I want you to tell one other person how good this product is. And, and I've done a lot of work in social media. The job I had before IBM, I was the CEO of a company called Cred. And Cred looks at social media influence. And what we spend a lot of time there is understanding how someone can move the needle. And so if I talk about product or a service um, versus someone else, how can my message get out there to my audience? So, and the other thing um, is only advertising, and probably I'll talk about this as well around big data, is that with the advent of ad blockers, I think people are saying that the existing form of advertising is, is a bit intrusive, and I think the opportunities for big data, if you're looking at from an advertising point of view, if you know more about me, and I want you to know more about me, then give me something that isn't an offer to try, to, you know, an advertising offer. Give me something that, that augments what I already have. And I think we, we'll probably see big data helping to shape the way we advertise in the future. I don't know what it's going to look like, and I'm sure there are lots of advertising boffins trying to work out what the next phase of advertising in the age of big data is. Well, and we've been to poor Tom Cruise character walks by a billboard, interactive, and when it, it sees what he's wearing, the wearable, it then uh, puts ads on, on this on the billboard that reflects him, only him. So that maybe could be the future as yeah. well. Yeah, and, and again, it, that could be a bit creepy, but if, it, if it's in context and you're expecting it, uh, and there's that trigger, so the, the offer. So if, if it was a 10% off offer, and I can normally get 10% anyway, I'm not going to be bothered. If it was a 50% offer for the next 15 minutes, you know what? I would actually change course and I would go and, and redeem an offer. So I think the notion will be you can actually fill stores or you can get 
people to go to a website with a targeted, timed offer that is using their data. But the, the, the thing comes back to personalization and privacy. Um, how much do we want to give away? I mean, the, the, the irony is on Facebook, we basically tell the world everything about us. Uh, on Facebook, and um, the, the challenge is how do you use that in a sensitive way? So that's another area where where big data can can be really useful, but there is the fine line between um, personalization and privacy that I think we have to respect at all times. Well, I guess with big data, if you if you get an advertisement and it's linked into your Facebook account, the moment you use the offer, it might then give that uh, share that on your Facebook page so your friends see that, and then your friends know yeah. basically what you what you bought. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's, that's the network effect. So someone says, well, you know, Jeff bought that, and he's a smart guy, I should look at that as well. And that's happened to me before. In fact, my the company I used to host my personal website, uh, I chose them because another influencer who I trust said he had been using them. So I said, oh, I'll check them out, and I ended up uh, using them on, a, on the basis of what he was doing. Because I guess if it's all about trust, if somebody you know is using their product and you know them pretty well, you'd think if they're buying it, it must be good. Yeah. Challenge and going back to the influencer thing is that um, you and I, you know, have a business relationship. Now we've spoken to each other. We know what we're, we're like. But if someone I've never met tells me that the product is great, or a celebrity does that, there's a, a really fine line between people that are just paid to promote things, and that's that's why we use celebrities, versus someone who actually uses the product. So in the in the case of my web uh, my website, if I tell you that I use Web Hosting Buzz because they're a good company. I'm not just saying that because I want them to, to pay me. I'm saying that because I actually use the product and I rely on their service to host my website. So I think there's a there's a fine line between someone who you respect who actually loves and uses the product versus someone who is getting paid uh, any amount of money just to say it's great. And that, that's celebrity endorsement. And that's, um, that's a hitty to stay, but... In the, in the world of big data and of social media, the rise of the, the, the normal influencer, I think we'll see a lot more of that. But I think consumers will become a bit wary to say, is this person being paid to say that or do they really love the product? Because I always think if someone's uh, is, is putting a product, I wouldn't think, how, how often do you use it? Are you paid for it or do you, are you a really big user? Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to gauge that. What you'll see in the future is that governments will start to regulate that, and you'll have you'll start seeing the word advertisement or sponsored on on tweets and on on uh, Facebook posts. And I don't think people want to do that. They want to um, uh, they have this thing called native content. They want something to appear like news, even though it's an ad. And there's again a very fine line between that, uh, and it sort of comes down to trust of consumers. I think. Yeah, because the moment you get a certain celebrity like the Kardashians, and when they're online tweeting, every tweet they think or a product is worth around thirty or forty thousand dollars. They're doing that, and openly, their fans probably don't even care that that they they're just they're just paid to it. They, they they think I'm going to buy it because they're using it. When in reality, it's not the case. Yeah. And also, when it comes to yeah. to security, how do you make sure that all the data is secure and everything and anonymized at times? That's a huge question, and I think um, it comes back to the question of of being an ethical marketer. Uh, years ago, I, I got really upset when people would um, email me things, and, you know, I'd give them my email address, and then they'd take that as a sign that they, they could email me anything. It's like, no, 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 I've given you my, my private details on the basis that we're going to have a you know, business relationship that is not you know, sent to everyone. So I think it comes back to you know, how marketers use data. And again, if we look at big data, there is so much out there. Um, I think marketers need to think uh, more like technologists. They need to understand how to mine that data but they need to do it in a sensitive way. And I think it comes down to almost a a value exchange. So if I give you 
my email address, if I give you my feeding preferences, if I give you my food preferences, if I give you access to my Fitbit and you know all about my health, tell me what you're going to do with that and I'll work out if it's a fair exchange. If the exchange is I get 50% discount on my health insurance because I'm telling you how healthy I am, that's a fair exchange. But if you then send that to my doctor without my permission, um, that's breaking the, the trust. So I think the, the issue of security and trust is down to being open with how you're going to use the data and it being a value exchange between the consumer and, and the brand. Because I saw last year there was a kid's toy that was developed with Watson and it, it, it remembers who you are and talks back to you. But at times you're going to get worried how, how creepy could that be if it knows everything about the kid and where's the data been stored? Yeah, I'm sure, I know that that's what you're talking about, I'm sure there are a whole lots of checks and balances there, and, and uh, I'm sure there are ways that parents can be involved in that as well. Um, but I think uh, the benefit there, and we also had a recent relationship with Sesame Street, is if you can use data in a good way, I have a nine-year-old child, so I'm very keen that she's able to benefit from all this technology. If you can use it in a really uplifting way, if you can augment the way they're already being taught, if they can reinforce their speech, if they can reinforce their math skills, I think that's a fantastic use of technology. And if it's done in a way that's through a toy or through a puppet or something like that that they can really relate to, um, you know, my daughter loves math because she sees it as a game, as a website she uses that makes math fun. And so I think when you introduce the element of, of play with learning, and if you can do that through big data and what, I think that's incredibly powerful. And as a parent, I'm delighted that, that uh, these things are happening. And I was thrilled because I've been a big fan of Sesame Street for years. When we announced a partnership with with the children's television workshop and Sesame Street, it was fantastic. Because yeah, I guess if 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 kids don't notice uh, that it, think no, it's a game, but in reality, you don't think it's homework or, or study, but it's kind of a game. They kind of enjoy it more and get and and, and for, for 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 you guys and the uh, consumers and everybody else, it's a win win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again. You know, when I was a kid, we never had this technology. We probably had a toy that talked when you pulled a string and it said three or four phrases. Now the fact that you can interact, that Watson can learn about the child's um, uh, things that they're interested in and, and, and pull up phrases that make sense, that, that for me is a revolution in education. And, and I'd like to see those sorts of uh, toys actually used in the classroom to help learning as well. Because the moment if you wake up in the morning and your toy says, good morning, Jim, oh, Frank, how are you today? That kind of stuff is is pretty impressive. Whereas twenty years ago, you couldn't even think about doing that. It was like Hollywood yeah, type exactly. movie thing, and it, it's great to see that because, if in a way, if you can do it in such a way that it's not intrusive, and you know that the data has been stored safely and everything else, it, it probably could be the future for education. I think so. I think yeah, the leaps and bounds. And again, if if cognitive computing is all about learning, so if the computer is learning faster than a child is learning, uh, you know, they're keeping up with each other. And I think this will help teachers as well. It won't stop teachers in the classroom, but it might mean a different way of, of teaching. It might mean you're able to accelerate some of the learning. But I think also the reinforcement, once you leave the classroom and go home and do the homework, if Watson and cognitive computing can help accelerate your learning, it just means we've got smarter kids. Um, and with the war on talent out there, kids that are able to know more about technology and be smarter and be inquisitive are going to get better jobs and it's better for society. Well, I think in the long term, if, if, you, if you teach kids at a young age to do things, it's better for them. The younger they learn stuff, like if you're three or four and you're learning a second, a second language, it's great for you. If you're that age, you're also learning how to do programming 
or, or anything as in, in, intuitive. It's going to look, uh, be good for you when you're older and you're at university or college. Yeah. I guess all that helps. Yeah, absolutely great. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, I, I was doing programming, as you said, on basic language. Now, that was the uh, thing that everyone was doing. Nowadays, you're looking back and you can get a computer uh, in your wristwatch that's more powerful than one that sent man to the moon. Things have changed so 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 quickly. And they can oh, yeah. I mean, I got my first computer in 1980. It was a Sinclair ZX Spectrum, again, running a basic programming language. I think my first program was Ken Hullo, Print Hello World 20 Go to 10. Run. Yeah. <laughs> well, my first, uh, yeah, I remember that, that well. Because I had a big 20, and my first thing was Hello World. Uh, <laughs> I think we all programmed that. Yeah. And I think unless you program from those sort of first principles, you don't really understand how, how it'll work. But as I said, that was the, that was the programming era of computing, and, and now we're into cognitive. It's not about programming, it's about teaching. And so, yes, someone still has to program Watson to do what he does, but I think you can now open the world of computing to people that don't need to learn you know, basic or Pascal or assembly language. Yeah. They can you know, they can program and they can teach computers in natural language. I think that's incredibly amazing. Well, the thing right now you're going to see future people can have code, so you, you can say, Watson, do this, or Watson, do that. That, in a sense, is a programming language, so you give them certain key phrases. Like when you're recording, you have certain things to key in. Those key phrases will, will be stored in Watson, and that will teach them what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, if years ago when you were doing stuff, you had basically print Hello World and then go to 10, run Hello World. But nowadays, if you have it, Watson, if if uh, Jeff's, if Ronan speaks, say hello. If, if Ronan cries, ask why. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is yeah, good. Yeah, and the fact that you and I could program it or my nine-year-old daughter could program that, that's, that's just revolutionary. It really is. Yeah, because it makes everybody now a programmer in a sense. You can say, well, look, you can program, but what are you now using? You're programming it to think the way you want it to think, and it doesn't require much knowledge at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. All right, Andrew, that's great. Thanks very much for that. Great conversation. I look forward to seeing your talk again at Belfast. Are you going to be there in Belfast? I'm yeah, to meet you. yeah, I'm going to try to come down to Belfast, yeah. Now tell me, the things, I'm still preparing my talk, the things that I was talking about then, do you think that would be of interest to the audience? Are they the sort of things you think that would be, um, would be challenging and stimulating to them? Yes, because what you're talking about is, is still new and always changing, and still we're talking about how the big data and Watson, cognitive, cognitive learning and all that, that's the future. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, good feedback. I'll make sure that I, uh, I stay on those sort of topics. I think that's uh, what the audience is hopefully looking for. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's it's been good because I, I look at Watson and I've seen how it's changed in the past two, two three years, and now it's been used more and more. My other companies are now using Watson uh, as an API for their products, and I'm thinking five years ago you couldn't do that, but now yeah. you can, and it's great to see that. Yeah, we've got a platform if you're interested called Bluemix, um, and it allows you to program almost anything uh, that we expose through APIs. So Watson can do text to speech, speech to text. He can even take unstructured text or tweets and develop a personality profile. If you go to, you might want to try this, go to social.bz forward slash personality. It's a short link, social.bz, that's Bravo Zulu, forward slash personality. And this gives you free access to our uh, Watson uh, personality insights. It's pretty self-explanatory. You can actually type some text in there or or actually look at your um, Twitter profile and it will do a personality profile. Watson has learned the art of linguistics 
and he'll actually look at the words, the structure, how often you repeat things, and actually uh, give you a view of your own personality online, and um, that can all be accessed through an API. That that sounds uh, worthwhile looking up. That sounds like it's because years ago when you when you got a where you look social media. At times, it could pick trends on what you follow, and it guess but what you're following is, is what kind of person you are. But if what's going to do it in more detail, like I say, now it's more impressive as well, because it's got a brain. Yeah, well, when you, when you see this, it'll see, you know, we, we used to talk about um, sentiment analysis, whether, you know, someone was positive or negative. This is, this is sentiment on steroids. It really is. It's amazing. Well, I look forward to looking at it. I look forward to seeing you in Belfast. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye now.